0: Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. Um, for those of you guys that are not new to the show, you know that we're about two things. People who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And my friend Jim is neither short of passion nor greatness. Now, uh, for those of you guys that um, do not know Jim, first of all, I want to give a little bit of, of your, your background just based off of how I met you. Did you mind if I start there? Fire away. So uh, there's, there, there was a very specific reason I picked Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone. Because our man Jim here, is in the skydiving hall of fame and he's a man of many many talents um one of my clients who is also a guest on the show eddie prez was talking to me and he said you know darius uh you know I, I just i got this guy that you got to meet his name's jim mccormick and he, he spoke to my vistage group and this guy i i, I may have the number wrong but is it five thousand skydives is that the number
1: Five thousand one hundred and thirty-three at this moment <laughs>
0: So he's like, he's, he, he's essentially a, a professional skydiver. And has as you just heard the man say, over 5,000 jumps out of an airplane and he does this amazing work around risk management. And, and, and now the, the, the viewers and listeners that don't know me well don't know that I am like the man of risk measurement. Like I am like a, a like a, I, I should have been an actuary. At, what is it? Actuary is that what they're called? Yeah. Like, I like stats and I like to look at risk all the time. Risk adjusted rewards. What's the risk? I like putting in one unit of risk and get ten units of reward. Like that. That's how my brain thinks. So I was like, oh, that sounds fascinating. And so Kenny, excuse me, um, Eddie's like, oh man, you got you got to meet this guy. We brought him in to our company, Equity Prime Mortgage, and. And he just has some really interesting thoughts around risk management. So, uh, so man, welcome to the show, Jim. I'm so excited to talk to you today about your experiences both in the air uh, as well as on the ground. And uh, man, welcome to the show.
1: Got it. We're in, we'll make it relevant to your listeners.
0: <laughs> so, um, I do want to give you your formal bio. Do you mind if I do that for a quick second? Fire away. I always like to give the origin and then I give the formal. Guys, Jim is Jim McCormick is here, and he is the director of development at the International Skydiving Museum and Hall of Fame. He's also a founder and president of Research Institute of Risk Intelligence. He's a motivational speaker, author of two books, The Power of Risk, How Intelligent Choices Will Make You More Successful. we are be talking about how they just came out with a significantly updated second edition and the pre-sells are on Amazon for that, as well as his book, Business Lessons from the Edge. Um, man, I'm so I- intrigued to to just get started with that. I was, was that okay? Did I, did, I, did I miss anything? I know there's a lot. You did,
1: you did pretty well there.
0: So, you know, what's funny is I I Googled you before and I just want to, can I start with two like amazing facts that I found out about you? Sure. Okay. So first of all, uh, is it true that you skydived into Pac Bell Park, uh, AT&T Park now on opening day and you delivered soil gathered from every major league baseball field in the entire United States to the new stadium?
1: That is absolutely true. It was, it was really a wonderful story because there was a pitcher, who is a retired out of the major league baseball and his son. And they visited every park and it was a father and son project. And they took a bucket with them and they, they would take some soil from each of the, the infield at each of the parks. And then it was kind of a christening of the new park that they had soil brought in. Now, if you want, which I thought was really cool. And we were given this, this great privilege. They gave us these bags of soil and all of us had some, because if somebody didn't make the target, they wanted to make sure the soil was still there. So they gave us this the day before when we were prepping at the stadium, and I looked at it when I got home. And I go to my, I, call my, I go, man. I went outside and I put something from my garden, and then I called my buddy. I said, "Cameron, you're not gonna believe in this, but bring some dirt over. I'll tell you why." So we got it. We added a little bit extra. <laughs>
0: You're like, I, uh, every major league park and my backyard. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's a major league park in my life. It's, it's where, I, <laughs> where I play baseball. Uh, that, that's amazing. And so the, the other the other thing that I thought was really cool is that you actually hold uh, a world record. You have, uh, you actually, have nine, nine, right? Is that correct?
1: Fifteen.
0: Oh, shoot. Yeah. Forget about one or nine. Let's just go straight <laughs> to double digits. So you have 15 world records. Would correct. you mind like giving us a few of those of what they are? Your well, p- sure.
1: Yeah. Um, it, the, the primary world record is for the largest skydiving formation ever built. Um, the largest free fall formation in the history of the sport and the longest standing record. Um, and that was in Thailand in 2006, a team from 35 countries. We built a formation after a two and a half week effort of 400 skydivers. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. So 400 400- over 26,000 feet from five Hercules C-130s provided by the Royal Thai Air Force. It was an amazing production. It was all led by a phenomenal guy by the name of BJ Worth who put the whole thing together over the course of two years. It was well, along with uh, his co-captain Larry Henderson, just amazing human beings and an amazing accomplishment. And now it's been that record has stood for 15 years.
0: Wait, wait, how many how many skydives were there? Four hundred. Four hundred and and so I'm 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 relatively new to the to the to the sport of skydiving like as in like a complete novice outside of the fact that i understand what it is that you jump out of a plane um so what does that mean 400 people jump out of a plane i mean is it one plane two planes how do you get 400 people i mean up in yeah. the air?
1: the reason we went to thailand is well they were gracious hosts but the air force their Royal Thai air force provided us with Hercules c-130 aircraft which allowed us to get to 26,000 feet and put 80 skydivers in each aircraft which meant we could do this with five planes flying close together. Obviously, we'd all exit at the same time and then work to build in the formation, prescribed formation that was in the colors of the Thai flag, um, that was held together for a total of seven seconds.
0: So, so and how many times did you have to attempt this before you? Well, we actually-
1: worked on it for two and a half weeks. So we didn't put the entire team in the air till the, near the end because you build incrementally from the center. So there's an ex- the classic example of risk management. First off, nobody jumps for three days after we arrive in Bangkok because everybody needs to adjust to the time change. It's not safe to be up there and not be 100 percent. And then we move the entire team to northern Thailand. We have over 500 in the team because we have a lot of support personnel and and backup uh, jumpers. And then and then we practice at length on the ground. And initially we only put up a group of 70 out of the 400 because that center part needs to get established before we can start building outward. And then we build incrementally in waves outward. To where we can ultimately, it makes sense to tr- to take the risk of putting all four hundred people in the air and doing it safely. And I'm pleased to tell you there were there were no significant injuries during the entire event, and it was successful.
0: When you when you say no significant in- injuries, my first brain's like, well, was there injuries then?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're leaving a plane at 170 miles an hour, and one of the things you have to do because it's hard to control yourself you, you, uh, at at that speed. You're being basically kind of being launched out of a out of a cannon. You need to bring your elbows together and then cover your face shield. Why elbows together? Because if they're out, it's very easy to get a dislocated shoulder. That's an example of, of a couple of the injuries that occurred. And just inevitably, you know, the only thing that occurs you in skydiving is the ground. Sometimes if you approach too quickly, you end up, you know, doing something that makes it hard to walk.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I, I, listen, if I jump out of a plane, I get twist my ankle. I, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I, mean, I won't be happy, but I, I'd be way happier than, <laughs> than other, other potential outcomes. <laughs> um so i just want to go i I always start this with guests i love to hear origin stories so how does one what think to themselves i'm gonna go become like like one of the world's best skydivers i think that yeah that yeah yeah like what are we having for dinner tonight honey oh you know steak yeah by the way i'm gonna go start jumping out of planes a lot
1: (laughs) clarify. I do not consider myself one of the world's best skydivers. I consider myself one of the world's most persistent skydivers, and that has served me well. I'm not innately gifted at the sport, but I've been very persistent in pursuing it, and that, that's, like I say, that's served me well. The, the answer is very simple, um, and there's a lesson in this. Um, the whole idea started from a book I read in, when I was in grade school. Uh, it was on my summer reading list. It was about commando training and it had a part about parachuting. I was enamored of that. I read the chapter twice. And I know now that that's where the seed was planted. So my comment is be careful about what you put in front of your kids because it can have a long-term impact. Age 18, uh, we had a wonderful speaker uh, come to our high school and he talked about goal setting. I was so impressed by that. Before I went off to college that summer, I made a list of life goals and one was to do a single skydive. No intention of doing more than one softball purely as a personal development experience. The premise is, Darius, we all have fears in our life. We are born with an innate fear of falling. And so my premise was, as we all know, if we do something that every cell in our body says is a bad idea and prevail, it's a confidence builder. And that was the whole sole motivation. I had no idea that I would, I would become enamored. I would do a second jump the same day. I've never done fewer than 100 jumps in a year. Um, and continue to this day. I'm done over 150 this year alone, and that pro- that pace is probably not going to abate anytime soon. That was the genesis of becoming a skydiver.
0: So, so yeah, so like it was like uh, I have a, a neighbor that lives two doors down from me, and he's 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 a like a local famous guy in Austin, and arguably a famous guy in the United States, in that he's uh, the number one pitmaster in the in the whole country his name's aaron franklin they actually have a master's class on his barbecue um i don't know if you know, know of him or not but um but I, I had a conversation with him because he's like the guy's like on the food network for make, making barbecue right and i said How, how'd you how'd you get into um barbecue and, and and the reason this just reminded me of this is is i, I feel like you had a, a, a moment that i had with him he said you know i didn't find barbecue barbecue found me and i'm like it sounds like you didn't find uh <laughs> skydiving skydiving found you um
1: and Darius, and that was the genesis of what what you and I are discussing about, because, you know, being an MBA, being an engineer, all of a sudden I was jumping out of a plane. And I thought, why do people do this? It didn't make any sense. So I kind of needed to dive in and find out empirically, why is this going on? Of course, it's easier to focus on other people than yourself. So I looked at the research that had been on the, done on the skydiving community. One in 100 people who jump out of a plane do it a second time. Really? One in 100. So it's a very unique group. and then. Most people only stay in the sport three to five years. So they they cycle out, they move on to other things. So it it is an an unusual, it's a tight filter of people that wanna do this on a recurring basis. That led to then the research of, to what extent is our risk inclination and our risk aversion indicative as to what we accomplish in life, both individually and also organizationally and what risk posture is appropriate for an organization so that they can maximize the success and bolster their competitive advantage. So it all derived from that one time saying, I think I want to jump out of a plane because I think it'll make me a better person.
0: Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out On an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits, allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin-D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin-D user Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is it's unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothys, and Brooklyn and, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/darius all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. So I, I, wow, that's a lot there to unpack. But but, uh, before we get to how we can apply it to uh, business... I want to go back to this decision where it's like, yeah, I like this. I'm going to go do it twice the first day I do it, and then a hundred times. You said since this is when you were 18, you did it twice that day. Oh
1: no, no, I did not do my first jump until I was 32.
0: Oh, oh shoot. Okay, so 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 this is something you're young, grade school when you got the plant, the seed was planted, but it took you know a couple decades before you actually did it.
1: The problem, Darius, is there was no internet back then. I wasn't sure where to go, and I wasn't bo- I wasn't good opening the uh, yellow pages and saying, "Here's Acme Skydiving." So yeah, finally I came across a colleague who I learned was an active skydiver, and he put me in charge with the most experienced instructor in the country, and that 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 worked out well.
0: So so for me, like I I joke about a few things in life, but skydiving is not not one of them. But I do have a affirmative statement I make about skydiving, which is like which is I'm now feel like by the end of this conversation, I may change my perception on this, which was like, I don't see the upside. Like, like, yeah, like I jump out of the plane and like, it's a cool experience and I get a rush and I'm not much of a thrill seeker in that sense. So I was like, but the downside sucks. Like I die. Right.
1: Well, let me make two comments. First off, I'm not encouraging anybody to skydive. If they want to, they should, if they don't want to, they shouldn't. It's real simple. People don't tend to be ambivalent, but I would ask you this question. If somebody's contemplating it, I would say, here's the deal. If you give me a couple hundred bucks and a couple hours of your time, and I can make you more confident, would that be a good investment?
0: Potentially, yeah.
1: And that's really the best reason I can give you to go through the process of doing a single skydive, because it does bolster your confidence, because you realize if you can do something of that sort, like I said, that everything in your body says you shouldn't be doing, it has the it has the potential to have a profound impact.
0: Yeah, like I watched, we were, my kids and I were watching The Amazing Race, uh, season one. Uh, it, my kids are young. They're, they're eight. And well, they're not as young as they used to be, but they're eight, eight and 12. They'll be 12. And, uh, my oldest will be 12 this month. And my youngest is eight. And so we're watching amazing race season one. Cause my wife and I were telling them about this cool show that used to be on TV. And there's a scene when I think they were like, they're in Africa and they're, these they're, they're bungee jumping. Right and I'm watching them and I'm literally getting sick to my stomach. And I was like, I couldn't, I just, how do do people do that?
1: Here's the second element I want to mention to you. Part of the power of doing a skydive or a bungee jump is there is an incremental possibility, very small, but present that it won't work and you'll die. That means at some point, you need to bridge that gap emotionally and mentally and say, this is sufficiently important to me that I'm willing to take that risk of that occurring. And I understand that for many people, that's not, a valid, that's not a valid trade. For me, that was a big part of what was valuable about it because I'm one of those people that likes to control outcomes. I had to get to a point where I could accept a possibility of an outcome I couldn't control.
0: Interesting. So, I was like, man, it sounds like eating a lot of mushrooms, um, <laughs> 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 which, which I don't like to do either. Um, so, uh, so let me ask you a question then let, let's move into the risk side of this because obviously this is, a, and I love the explanation that, okay, well, I'm, I, this was something around giving up control to bolster one's confidence and to actually have an experience that is a profound experience. If I heard you correctly, right. um, What like what is the like? I'm a data person. I'm like okay. Like you asked me, would I do it? it, Would I do something to gain confidence? And I said it depends. And the reason I said it depends is I'm like, it depends on what the risk and reward out. uh, You know, if if there's a one in a hundred chance of it not working, my answer's like, yeah, I'll pass. You know. But what when we start looking at the data? Because I think that's where it's really important. You know, people take risk all the time. There's tons of risk out there right now with people getting, you know, COVID or vaccinations or driving their car on the road or walking down the street. We take risk all the time, and a lot of it's blind, and a lot of it we don't think about. Um, but there's risk in living. What when you start to quantify the risk of and I look at this like I've been, you know, making arguments with people around probability of different outcomes from a health perspective in, in, in a very uh, varying areas, especially around this whole debate right now around, you know, COVID, um, because there is a lot of there's data it's still being formed, but there's a lot of data around risks people are taking, depending on the type of, you know, outcomes that, that they're potentially willing to live with. Um, but I don't mean to make this political. I really meant to just make a comment because I think that that's relevant to what we're talking about here, which is, okay, well, I want to jump out of a plane. What are the odds of, of something bad happening to me?
1: Hello. Uh, hey, Hello. Uh, okay, let me, let me tell you this, Darius. I can prove to you, if you're a data-driven person, I can prove to you that statistically there's more fatalities per participant from bicycling than skydiving. Okay. And I will tell you this, I've done over 5,000 skydives. I've never yet encountered a dump truck in free fall. Bicycling, <laughs> that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, there's, there, Yeah, there's no dump trucks uh, in, in in the sky. I've
1: gotten close to a couple of airplanes, but no no dump trucks. So w- w- let me tell you where that takes us. Any risk, and I'm going to answer your question, and then I'll move it. Last year, there were about 27 million skydives made in the United States. It was a lower number than the year before because of COVID. 2019 was about 3.3. Last year, there were 11 fatalities out of 2.7 million skydives. Wow. Every one is tragic and should not occur. But my point is, we have done a fabulous job in the sport of skydiving to make it dramatically safer than it used to be. And, And so what I want to talk about first is perception of risk. At the top, you said we're going to talk about risk management. I'm pleased to tell you we're not going to talk about risk management. What we talk about, what I work with with my clients is risk utilization. And that's a really critical distinction. Risk management focuses on risk suppression. Risk utilization focuses on utilizing risk as the powerful tool that it is. The problem that we have is we have, as humans, we have an innately conflicted relationship with risk, meaning that we know we need to take them mentally, intellectually, but emotionally we don't want to take them. Where does that come from? We are socialized to see risk as negative and something to avoid that makes us vulnerable.
0: Say that. Say that again one more time. We are
1: socialized to see risk as something bad that we should avoid.
0: Yeah. Well, I. Well, I do you think that, that that that's it's all socialization? You think some of that's like Darwinism? Like we're like we survived by by risk aversion and our <laughs> D, and our DNA is like, hey, don't let that tiger eat you. Watch no, out. No,
1: that's not it. At that's, you're 100 off. And here's why I say that. You're you're a parent. What's the first child? What's the first word every child learns? Uh, no. <laughs> you got it. But what does that tell you? We start tremendously risk inclined. The problem is for the first 25 years of our life, and I reference 25 because that's when we get to a point of brain maturity where we have the judgment to balance our risk inclination. We have to have our natural high risk inclination suppressed by our authority figures. Ergo. Parents, grandparents, coaches, teachers, whoever provides authority in our life, because we don't have the ability at that point in our lives to balance to balance that risk inclination. But here's the point I would make to you, Darius. Question of you. Have you ever consciously thought about all those people that helped suppress that natural risk inclination that you were born with? Said, thanks. I made it to adulthood. I'm now going to set that script aside and write my own.
0: No, you know it's funny. I mean, I'm an interesting person because I've actually dealt with like like some chronic anxiety and stuff in my life, right? And I and I and I've always and and I hadn't thought about like that part of it. That that was it. You know, like I have a grandmother that was afraid of heights, right? That wouldn't ride in escalator elevators, right? And so was she? Was her socialization around risk such that it would create make me more risk averse, right? Um than maybe was even healthy necessarily.
1: And what's your answer?
0: I would say it's a component of it for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and, and,
1: we're socialized to see risk as negative And so therefore we just draw in. And here's one of the questions I'll pose to the to the executives I work with. And I'm gonna ask you the same thing. First word that comes to mind when I say risk.
0: Uh death.
1: How about like, yeah, death, danger, like which is interesting because you played danger zone. Here's the, here's the observation. If you see neg- the negative connotation of risk, you are aligned with the balance of society. If you see a positive connotation to risk, you are an outlier. Both are important insights.
0: Yeah, so let's so let's move in that direction around p- the positive because obviously, I think intellectually, l- listeners are going to say, "Yeah, I get it." Like, like risk equals potential bad outcomes. That's a, that's like. I mean, I could I could think of a positive outcome of taking risk, which is business, or like let's say you're buying a stock or something. There's risk of it losing money. There's risk of it making money. That that's that's something that I could assume as a positive outcome of. Oh, I take risk by making. I mean, I do a lot of investing, um, like a lot, a lot of investing, and and I'm constant. And that, but that's risk. I feel like I understand. So for me, what I tell people is, I'm very risk averse until I understand the risk. What What are your thoughts around how people can take? risk to create positive outcomes in their lives or in business or even both.
1: One of the things that we do when we're working with executive teams is we help them to identify their risk quotient, which is a concept that we developed at the institute. R- RQ has nine components. It's not like an IQ or an EQ in that a higher number is better. You're looking for an accurate number. What we find is within those nine components, they'll identify those where they have a higher risk inclination and those where they have a lower risk inclination. What we know is the common thread is the following, Darius. Those where they are more risk inclined, they have the perception, which is different from reality, but they have the perception that they're well suited to drive that risk type to a positive outcome. Okay. Hence, a reduced perception of vulnerability. Hence, a higher risk inclination. So my comment is to you, whether it's investing or other areas where you're comfortable taking risks, you have a belief based on past experiences or whatever that you're well suited to drive that to a positive outcome. Okay. When you look at the areas where you, you have a lower risk inclination, you do not feel competent in that realm. It might be in the social realm, the relationship realm, intellectual realm, creative realm, spiritual realm. And as a result, lower risk inclination because of higher perceived vulnerability. That's important also organizationally because when a senior executive needs to drive their team to be more comfortable expanding their risk, their uh, their uh, comfort zone in that essence, then it's important that they reduce their perception of vulnerability by providing them with the support and something that we call at the Institute a culture of permission so that they understand that they can take some risks in an environment where they might not always get positive outcomes. Okay. But- they know the organization is not going to retain, it's not going to remain competitive unless they take some of those risks. That's item one. Item two, question of you. Can you be in business without taking risks?
0: I, I don't I don't believe so.
1: There's no scenario. Yeah. But what's curious is it doesn't receive the level of attention we believe it deserves. And the point is this if you think about what a senior executive in an organization does, if you boil it down, Darius. Everything they do all day long is about identifying the risks that need to be taken and implementing them effectively.
0: Okay. Say that one more time.
1: Everything they do is about what we call the risk equation, identifying the risks that need to be taken and then implementing them effectively. That is what it is about to be the, the leader, senior leader of an organization it doesn't matter if it's a for-profit or a non-profit that's what the, the entire project is about yet we don't tend to discuss risk openly i think that's because it's perceived as something that's threatening
0: yeah well, i i i totally agree because i think the like my immediate like visceral role response is that people need to manage risk i guess responsibly right and 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 how do you as in an organization for example how do you create a consistency around risk tolerance because if I say, yeah, we're a risk taking organization and I have varying degrees of risk tolerance by executive, I'm going to get a very vari- variable outcomes, some of which I might be like, why the hell did you, do- what in your right mind did you think that was worth a risk worth taking? That's a, 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 that's a one for one on a good day,
1: right? Every, Darius, every organization has to have instigators and mitigators. You have to have both. If you have nothing but instigators the people who are more risk inclined you're going to have chaos if you have nothing but but mitigators you're going to have not you're not going to have much forward movement it's very important in the organizational dynamic that there be an acknowledgement of the people that fall into those categories and that they work together in a collaborative and a constructive way because otherwise it's not going to work at all but there needs to be a mutual respect and my comment is darius if you're an instigator it's important that you acknowledge the people who provide you with that balance and thank them for that. Because it's hard to be a mitigator because you always think feel like you're saying no. Um, the instigators can drive people crazy. They, they, they darken the door and everybody wants to hide under their desk because they have no idea what crazy idea is going to come out next. But those, some of those crazy ideas turn out to be really important to advancing the organization and bolstering the competitive advantage so that's so it's not that you want to do you want to have certain people that have more of risk inclination yeah maybe you're in your product development people your r d people your sales your marketing people do you want to have people that are less risk inclined yeah and your risk management people your accounts payable people yeah but my comment is people say well a good cfo is going to be somebody who's cautious i disagree a good cfo is going to be somebody that says that says to the executive team, here here's how we can exploit that opportunity within the bounds of our resources.
0: I love, I love that perspective because like I and you don't know this about me more than likely, but but you know, I, I wrote a book called Core Value Equation, which is which is all about which is all about la- the language that we choose creates the conversations in the organization, which leads to the results and your core values of an opportunity to become the language of the organization. But what I heard you just say was that you're really building language around risk risk like a risk culture, right? So we're, we're deciding that and there's you're essentially creating a framework and boundaries around how people you know and opportunities around how people assess and manage risk in an organization. Am I understanding that pr- correctly?
1: That is correct. and it's critical to the, for the organization to advance in order to remain the competitive advantage and to be innovative, have higher levels of initiative and to be organizationally agile. All of those things are necessary. But if the risk taking only it takes place at the very senior level, that's a problem. And if the and if you have some of your people that are naturally comfortable with risk, which is a hard skill set to train, and they're leaving the organization, it is an indictment of the culture that you've created. It needs to be revisited.
0: So when you when so how did you transition from like into this world? Because it sounds like you were you said an engineer originally. Is that correct? So engineer, very methodical, pragmatic, like you know, data driven, uh, started doing the skydiving thing. And then now you're in this world of consulting and coaching. Um, when did that transition happen?
1: Well, that was fairly immediate because, uh, 25 years ago, I was a member of an expedition, a skydiving expedition to the North pole. And I came back from that and it was a life-changing experience. And I was determined to try to figure out some way to take that experience and make it relevant to others. And so I took that and, and initially started doing travel logs, but it quickly came to realize if that was gonna, if there was gonna be any value to it, I had to be able to relate it to people where they were. And that experience led to then saying, How can I take my insights into risk by virtue of personal experiences and research and make them relevant to individuals and organizations?
0: So so that led to the consultancy. Business uh, and what's the, what's the name of your consulting business again?
1: It's the Research Institute for Risk Intelligence.
0: And and um, just be, even though we have a few more minutes left, I, I'd love where can people find you if they want to work with a, a group like yourself to build a more risk? I guess um, like can, uh, 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 what will be a word? How would you describe an organization that's uh, that's adhering by your the principles you guys teach? How do you well, guys we
1: work it? with the, we, our clients to do is to optimize their risk posture? Got that it. Might, within the organization and then help to create that culture of permission so that they're going to have the innovation initiative that they need to move forward. And, and,
0: yeah. and where, where, and where can they find you guys? What, what's the, the
1: website is risks, plural, hyphen, institute.com risks, hyphen, institute.com
0: risks, plural, hyphen, institute.com. So guys, you guys need to check, check out Jim and, and the work they're doing over there at the risks Institute. Um, but going back to so you, you launched this business as consulting business and out of that was born two books i, I want to spend the last couple of minutes of the show talking about the, the 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 two book and also the two books but but really especially the power of risk which is the the book that you guys have a second edition coming out which has a ton of updates can you, can we talk about those really quickly
1: sure the power of risk um this book is second edition i updated it during the lockdown last year um brought it current. And if this is stuff that's of interest to people, that talks about everything we've discussed, plus a whole lot more. And it's focused on using risk as a personal improvement device and finding your appropriate relationship with risk. The second book is more organizationally focused. It's called Business Lessons from the Edge. And as you can see, it says, learn how extreme athletes use intelligent risk-taking, a concept we developed here, to succeed in business. This was really a cool experience because what I did is I found 40 senior executives, entrepreneurs, CEOs who are also extreme athletes. And effectively asked them the same question, which is, how has what you've learned in your recreational and athletic pursuits benefited you and assisted you in the business environment? So an interesting read.
0: What, what If there was one common theme in the second book, like, like the thing that stood out most to you, what, what would you say that is?
1: I would say it was a it was a broader awareness that they needed to understand that in many cases what they were talking about is they needed to have a um, in which senior executives are paid for. They need to have a a broader perspective and be able to see further ahead than other people, because when you're doing things like you're flying aerobatics or you're uh, are you're uh, climbing Mount Everest, which actually we had some of those people are CEOs that climb Mount Everest. If you're not thinking well ahead, you're at serious risk. And the reality is what we know is senior executives tend to be much more capable of seeing further ahead than people at lesser levels.
0: Yeah, no, that, that, that it's funny you said that. Um, you know, I, I I always tell people as CEO, like like I, I used to say this when I was CEO of my last business, which was a pretty good sized business. We had about a thousand employees at, at the peak. Um, and this was maybe back in like 2019 or 18 when I would say this. So let's say it was 2018. I said, look, for you guys, it's 2018. For me, it's 2021. One of the
1: guys I interviewed uh, flies jets uh, as part of his business. And his comment is, my job, I'm paid to look around the corner to see what other people don't see. And the metaphor he used is when I'm 500 miles out from the airport, if I'm not already initiating my descent and my arrival plan, I'm behind the power curve.
0: Yeah, I love that. Well, man, uh, God. This uh, this went way too fast. Um, I'm like I'm like we need to have like a part two, which which I'm gonna try to put on the books for us. <laughs> this was this was hard to get it scheduled. We you, you and I both are busy, but uh, l- why don't we do this? Let's wrap up. Um, I'd love for anyone that wants to find you risks-institute That's where they can find you. Uh, the power of risk: how intelligent choices will make you, you more successful. That's the pre sale for the the new edition. The second edition is on Amazon. Is that correct?
1: Yes, it is both ebook and print version, and also all the other platforms: Barnes and Noble, Apple, everything.
0: And then, last but not least, "Business Lessons from the Edge" is the book on uh, how businesses have actually leveraged it from forty different executives, uh, extreme. Uh, it sounds like extreme athletes, extreme individuals, and how they ran that, took risk into their business. That's the other book. Got it. Anything else? Anything else we could share with the audience if they want to connect with you or or uh, learn more?
1: No, that's pretty much it. Always a pleasure to talk to people and see if there's something, somehow this makes sense and fits together. And I agree with you, Darius. We've got a whole lot more to cover.
0: Yeah, we got way more to cover. And uh, guys, uh, for those of you guys that are in the world of, you know, we had a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this, uh, like I said earlier on in the show. Um, The way I met Jim was through a client of mine who's a Vistage client. He has a great Vistage group. And he told me, you know, we have a lot of Vistage speakers that come in. And Jim is the first one that I've ever brought into my company because he blew my mind. So, uh, yeah.
1: Let me me conclude with a question, Darius. Oh, yeah. You mentioned all the entrepreneurs that we have out there. Are
0: entrepreneurs
1: uh, risk takers?
0: Oh, yeah, of course.
1: Okay. And here's our observation at the Institute. Successful entrepreneurs are risk takers of necessity and not of choice. Think about that.
0: I love that. <laughs> man. Uh, yeah. We're going to do a part two. So this is uh, like, like when, when in the last six minutes of a show, unfortunately that this got, this was a tight schedule, but uh, uh, like you said, all oh, the one time I sky over the North pole, I'm like, I, and I'm like, why can't we talk about this? All right. So <laughs> we are going to do a part two. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining me, man. I'm, I'm excited for us to do a part two here and this was really fun.
1: Look forward to it. Thanks, buddy. All right, so
0: much gratitude, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. We got we got more shows coming up, brand new season, and uh, looking forward to seeing you guys. Peace out. You are listening to the Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on